Chris Herb, and welcome to the Triple Clicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. Like everyone else, I'm a huge fan and consumer of shoe and streetwear culture. I've always felt there's a natural connection between the gaming and lifestyle communities. On the eve of the launch of the next generation of hardware, I was excited to help bring together Xbox and the Hundreds for a collab that just dropped. So I asked co-founder Bobby Hundreds to join the podcast. We had a great conversation about the journey to build an iconic brand and community, the challenges of keeping a 17-year-old streetwear brand fresh and relevant, how I talked him into his first ever video game collaboration, and why he hazed Dylan Francis out of the streetwear game and into the DJ booth. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Bobby Kim, a.k.a. Bobby Hundreds, co-founder of The Hundreds. I can't even go through all the things that you do. Entrepreneur, author, designer, illustrator, creative director, right? I got this from the GQ article. They listed them, <laughs> they listed them all out for me. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for coming out. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Of course. I'm excited to have you. Yeah. Uh, as a fan of the brand forever, I've heard your brand story a thousand times. Yeah. If my listeners haven't heard it, go buy the book uh, that's now out or just Google Bobby Hundreds. There's a thousand things. I want to talk to you about kind of gaming yep. and the hundreds of brands. We are on the uh, anniversary, first and like one day. We're one day old, I one guess. One day old. One day uh, old. Our collab. marriage. <laughs> exactly. The Xbox Hundreds collab. Your first ever video game promotion. Yes, that's how, right. How did I talk you into it? Uh, well, Chris is very convincing in general. So you can, you know, sell salt to a sea slug. Is that what it <laughs> is? that how it goes? Uh, I think it's a confluence of events. I mean, really, you are good at convincing anybody to do anything. But also, uh, we're at this really interesting moment within the brand's timeline where we've been around for 17 years. I started this company with my friend Ben when we were 23 years old. And a lot has changed since then. Like a lot has changed since six months ago. A lot's changed since a year ago. So let alone 17 years ago. And a lot has changed within the culture. A lot has changed with our customer. And, and, and really a lot's changed just within our own personal lives. And The Hunters has always been this storytelling of our experiences and our lens and uh, we're not really, you know, when people are like, okay, you guys are kind of the arbiters of cool and culture. And I'm like, I'm not cool at all. I've just uh, done a really good job of communicating where I'm at in my life and the things that I find interest in. And if I'm passionate or I'm curious about something, I just do my part in taking my customer's hand and walking them through the journey with me. And I'm at, I'm at a point in my personal life right now where I'm really curious about gaming. And it probably has a lot to do with the fact that I have two boys and they're, um, become, they're coming of age uh, at a time when, you know, Fortnite's happening and they're into their Switches and they're playing their Xbox more than they were a year ago. And so I'm just around it more and I'm curious and I'm watching their streams. I'm watching their Twitch, like who they're watching on Twitch. And uh, and that was right at the moment that um, Herb came around and he was like, yo, like, let's do something together. And I was like, first, I need you to help me with like an Xbox or like some kind of Fortnite password situation with my. You fix your Fortnite account. It was, was like it step was my one. kid's Fortnite account. I was just like, before we get anywhere, I'm so illiterate. I need you to help me figure out my kid's Xbox. The biggest Fortnite celebrity account. in the world. You have access to everything. You're the <laughs> king of the world. But if you can't get your kid's Fortnite account oh fixed, you're not like. I really was. I was helpless. Yeah. I was just like, I was so, I felt so small and like. 
I was just like a shell of a man, you know, with my kids sitting in front of me. And I'm like, dude, I can get you anything you want. We can, you know, you can go meet this rapper. I can get you any clothes you need. And he's just like, just get me into my Fortnite. Yeah, I don't have access to my skins I bought. I yeah. Mean, and everyone my within my world, which is, you know, what we're going to talk about today is pretty much disconnected or detached from the gaming world. And so I couldn't go within my network for help. And Where, so you were there. Did you, did you play as a kid? What did you, did yeah, you play we played, we played, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm like a gamer by today's standards. Cause not many people were back then. We had the consoles, I think our first look. So we never had an act, a classic Nintendo, but I was, I grew up during that time. Our cousins had one, our parents wouldn't buy us one. So we'd go to their house and play Duck Hunt and we'd go to their house and play, I don't know, like Castlevania, you know, games like that. And uh, and then what, uh, there was a when we were younger, I was going to Korea a lot because we had family there and we would spend our summers in Korea. And there was a console called Zemix. It's Z-E-M-M-I-X. It's really hard to find any information about it. But I have these really vibrant memories of playing Zemix with my older cousins in Korea. I don't even remember the games. I remember the cartridges. I've, I've found maybe one photo on Google Images about this console. And so my fondest memories of gaming are that. And then the next time we went to um, Korea, we just, oh, we started getting to Genesis. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. It was Genesis before or after Super Nintendo, or was it simultaneous? Yeah, Genesis and Sega was kind of coming. Yeah, Genesis, but yeah, right like that, that window. So when Super Nintendo was kind of popping off, we in Japan they had Super Famicom, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was more of an advanced version or like just the Japanese version, and so it was exotic, and there was no internet, there's no eBay to buy stuff like that, and so you had to go to Asia to get it or you had to know someone. And I was one of the few Asians in my school and my community. And so the fact that I came back with the super Famicom was crazy. It was all the same games that you could play, but there was, you know, it was like Japanese language in the games. But the craziest part about it was they had a, an, a, apparatus that you could burn or copy games Mm. um you know like it was super advanced but like they were selling those with the famicom and so you could just take super nintendo games and just rip them and so we had the most games of anybody within our network of friends it was like we had hundreds any every game we would you know borrow and then we would just rip it and give it back and so we were super early on on doing that kind of stuff and so those are my those are my earliest and fondest memories. And more than like a Street Fighter 2 arcade machine or anything like that, it was Sega Genesis and then Super Famicom. Gotcha. Yeah. And, what, and so the kids now, have you connected? What about your employees? Like having met your squad, like yeah. they're hardcore gamers. They when, are. When we started talking about it, were you like, should we do gaming? Like how was, like, <laughs> yeah. what was that conversation with the team? So it's interesting because like I was saying, our, our clothing company has been around for 17 years and we're known for doing a lot of cross-branded marketing projects, collaborations. And we've never done a video game collaboration because everything that we do has to be backed with a story or a purpose and a reason. And because Ben and I weren't emotionally invested in gaming or video games, like even if we were, you know, talking about Super Famicom or Genesis, and I knew there were stories there. So we had had these conversations with Sega at some point and Nintendo. I still felt like, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm not, it's not really resonating with me in a way. And sometimes it, we can still skate by if 
people within the surrounding staff are really into it and are uh, feel compelled or impelled to like do a video game collaboration. And so, um, but no one in our no one in our crew was really into gaming. I mean, some of them were, some, but not like to the extent of yeah, we should do a gaming project forever for like the first decade, especially. In only in the last like three to four or five years, I would say, is that like I picked my head up out of the sand and looked around and realized, whoa, like most of our staff games and not only are they into video games, they're like hardcore intensive gamers where every night after work, they're going home and playing Call of Duty against each other. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that was also probably a huge factor as to why we were like, maybe we should start looking into this because this is the people, this, this brand is not just the uh, storytelling of Ben and I, it's really everyone who's in the company and supports the company at that time, including the fans. And so like, I wanted to reflect their interests and their worlds. You know, I don't want it to just be like, it's only about Bobby and what Bobby's into. I also like, I want to learn from them as well. And so that was a big part of it for me was this is an education. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, I think that speaks a lot to why successful you guys are is because you're not chasing it because like, oh, there's a lot of people there and there's a lot of money there no, and we no. can sell it. So like, yeah. I think it's, it has to be authentic and the storytelling yeah. has to be there. We've always known that obviously that there's a lot of money in gaming and everyone plays and obviously it's a huge industry. Like it's been brought, like we were talking about it earlier, but the uh, esports thing, you know, for, I, I swear for, for 10 years, people have been bringing that up to us of, Oh, esports could really use like cool brand sponsorship, or you guys should start an esports team or esports brand. And like for years, every single year, someone comes to us and is like, no one's really doing it properly yet. No one, you know, it's just recently that like 1% phase client and like these crews are coming around and like really understanding the merch game. Yeah. But we were hearing that like in two, 2010, you know, mm-hmm. and so we knew, but it just still was like, okay, I understand it's an opportunity, but it's not about that for us. If it was only just about a business move, it's not going to sustain. Like, I'm just going to get in and out of it and it's not going to edify the brand in any way. It's only going to, you know, like if anything, it'll erode from the brand because it'll seem inauthentic and there just won't be any fire behind it. Yeah. But with these kinds of projects that we're starting to get into and we're talking about right now, like there's so much interest from everyone on board. Yeah. And I think that's going to translate to the customer. I think that was a fun conversation I think I had with you is like, let's do this, but it's not like a one-off thing. Like yeah. how do we organically really bring this? I saw a bunch of the comments where like, yeah. you could have done deeper. Yeah. You could, it's an appetizer. I loved your comment. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? An appetizer's before something bigger comes along. Yeah. I just love that idea. But like you and I are talking about like, what does the next 12 or 24 months look like? Because it's like, it's not like we're just going to kind of sh- like, you're not here for the launch of the Xbox. Yeah. You're here for like, it just, we're just like codifying this moment, but we're yeah. going to build something from it, which I yeah. think is what really kind of where the storytelling really becomes authentic and kind of the journey of where we're going to take it. Yeah. It's just, uh, we're just laying the palette down, you know, and yeah. just getting people, we're gradually introducing them to this concept of, look, we haven't done a gaming project in the entirety of the hundreds and I can't just come out the bat and pretend like this is totally normal. I just want to start introducing it in a way where it's subtle and soft. And so when things are really starting to move, you're like, okay, I saw the gradual build, but yeah, there was a kid who in the comments of one of our posts was like, Oh, it's just, it's pretty flat. It's just like a straight up logo lockup. And I'm like this, an appetizer is a taste of things to come. And for me, it's not 
like a gaming initiative for the hundreds or like here's the gaming phase or we're going to enter gaming. It's not that. I just think, I mean, especially this year in the pandemic, as everyone in the world can attest to, gaming and life are just intertwined. It's just one and the same now. It's not like it's the same like the same thing that's happened with the Internet over the last three or four years where things, the banter or the language that used to exist on the Internet wouldn't really enter in real life. And now it's just one and the same, like politics, especially, or like social movements. Like that was like an Internet kind of weird thing that was happening, but you wouldn't actually see it manifest manifest in real life. And the reality is, is like the Internet is our life, you know, Mm -hmm. and Xbox and gaming is our life. If especially if you're spending a lot of time of your day on it, but just if your brain is always in there and your mindset is around it, if your work is in it, which is what your work is like. How is this not life? Like, it's just an element of what we do. We can't just divorce it from our reality. It is our reality. Even for, like you said, for the pandemic, even for my kids who are, everybody's kids are probably schooling from, at least in California. Yeah. Like we're staying, we're following rules. Um, this is the only way my kids are connecting with their friends, right? They yeah. don't feel like they miss yeah. school because they can still hang out with their friends. Even yeah. if they're not playing Fortnite, they're in the lobby. They're, they're chatting, they're converting, like they're on their Xbox chat, yeah. like all of that stuff. So I feel like to your point, like I think it's it's connective. I, I, you know, you and I joke about politics all the time. Like the world is split in half. Like yeah. there's half crazy people, yeah. half people that kind of get it at the top but at the bottom we're all doing the same things we're all kind of going to psa getting our cards graded (laughs) we're collecting shoes we're buying your new like draw like i'm you know buying the nightmare on elm street shirts like we're all kind of together and so like these communities have come together where we can find some really uniting you know some beautiful unions of people coming together is within gaming within subcultures within clothing because they're not polarizing worlds, you know? I think if you focus and own in on particular social issues, like, they can be very polarizing because they're matters of life and death yeah. to particular people and particular groups. But, um, the, yeah, I, to your point, you go home and everyone is playing games. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I forgot what the statistic was this year, just in the States alone, but almost everyone is, has played a game this year. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it's yeah. Like, the numbers we talk about, like, I think Gen, like Gen Z alone, like, I think it's 96% and yeah. I haven't met the 4% play yeah. games, right? Yeah. It's, you know, if I, if I asked you like, do you watch movies? You yeah, look exactly. at me like I was crazy. Yeah. You, like the question is, is what movies, what yeah. movies are you watching? Yeah. So now when you still have, true. my parents are still like, so do you play like video <laughs> yeah. games? Like, why would you ask me? that question of course i like so these generations have just kind of grew up on it i grew i'm older i'm a little bit older than you i had the atari 2600 you had the you had the you know my dad didn't have to get on like for right now like when i got my 2600 my dad plugged into the tv and we were good now my kids are like on switch yeah okay i need a camera and (laughs) where's my green screen my kid's 10 and he's streaming right like i have to do it more joystick was just one button right wasn't it to stick in the button yeah and like my kids now have the elite controller from xbox who can program like my kid won't like he literally came in here the other day and like your sensitivity and your trigger sucks. I need my elite because I've <laughs> programmed to the sensitivity. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like it's such a different world. But I love seeing the co- like even the comments mm. that went we went through our post last couple of days. No one was like, why are you doing this? Right. There yeah. was a lot of like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen or fuck you, PlayStation. Like, yeah. Those are the two yeah. polarizing things. Yeah. And so it's uh, just the authenticity of like oh people God. know that these belong together. Yeah. And they, their worlds, uh, their rooms look, they both coexist in their rooms. You know, they have an Xbox and they have the hundreds. And so 
I think for them, they were just so excited. I mean, how many comments said two of my favorite things coming together? And that's one of my favorite comments to get to any collaboration. And I saw so much of it because I was like, wow, like this person has been waiting for this for so long or they just never anticipated it would happen. And then we did that for them. It was like a huge gift we could give the community. Yeah. And I love that. And I think the gaming community for me having like, so we're, we're kind of similar, but opposite. Like I grew up in the gaming community, have done this forever. And I I used to run the Dungeons and Dragons brand back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And like for us, it was about like, no one recognizes us, right? We want to be known. And so when like Dungeons and Dragons or Xbox hits mainstream, we're like, awesome. Like we've arrived. It's a positive thing. Yeah. Street culture feels different from you're on the inside of it if street culture goes from like the underground to the mainstream yeah stoked about it are you disappointed well i think it depends on who you're talking to within that realm of street culture streetwear i think you know you're talking to a young person today they just it's mainstream and it always has been and they don't they don't remember or know a world where it wasn't and so um you can say the same thing for about like anything that manifested from a subculture, you know, if you talk to someone who was skating in the 70s and the 80s and even the early 90s, like I was, and you talk to them about skateboarding today, like there was an uncomfortable period of a transition where something went from being underground to mainstream. And there's like a lot of much of what that's about is that subcultures and underground movements, people feel a lot of ownership and they find a lot of solidarity there because they are the outcasts, they are the fringe. Um, they almost feel like they've earned their stripes. They went through a lot of pain to find each other and they feel insulated from this outside world that doesn't understand them. And then when the outside world world is just like, Oh, I'm ready to adopt that now. It's almost like, um, you know, you almost feel like angry at the fact that you didn't see it earlier. I was always here. Um, but now that it's cool, you want it, you know? Yeah. And so street where I did that. And I think we're, we're really past that point where, to us, our understanding of streetwear, the golden years of what streetwear is, you know, that was to me like the 80s, 90s and early 2000s. And um, every year someone says like this brand sold out or your brand sold out or streetwear's dead. Like I've heard it every year since we've started. Even when we started, people when were Virgil, like, when Virgil says or it, like Virgil says it or, you know, which has now been like a year and it's still like obviously not going anywhere. Like streetwear's just a part of life. It's like comic book movies almost. Like people yeah. were like comic book movies is a fake. It'll go away, and then like, <laughs> like okay, it's so been like, going on for yeah, decades. It's just like a genre, yeah, right? It's yeah. just a subculture yeah. of film. Yeah, and, and it just I, gets to that point where people grumble about it, and then it's just the the old guard or you know the people who are there early on. They kind of phase out, or they accept it, or they. And, and I'd rather be on the side of things that just embraces it, you yep. know. And I'm very aware that I'm getting older every day, that my brand is getting older and I can react in one of two ways. I can resist it. And every, literally every single person and brand I know who resists it dies, they die in the vine. And the people who are very few and far between, but the ones who embrace it, really listen to what the young people say, really hand the mic over to the younger people in their crew, their staff, um, pay attention or sensitive to what like the younger generations are saying. Um, they're the ones that tend to last, you know, cause they know how to adapt. And I think that's just like a lesson for life of staying open-minded, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, when you stay open-minded to things and you're not quick to dismiss or reject or turn something down, like you allow yourself to learn, you know? And that's, I think what 
life is about, but really like brands and careers. It's about like learning and growing and the progress. And no one wants to see you be the same guy that you were 20 years ago. Like we know, like that's not interesting. That's where you die. Like we want you to grow and be more interesting and be complex. Yeah, I know. And we're both fans of Louis Vuitton. Like we've talked about yeah. that. Like to talk about a brand that's so old and yet yeah. they're like literally making trunks for League of Legend. They've yeah. got smartwatches. Yeah. They've got more Kami designing. Like, you know what I mean? And that's before Virgil does yeah. what Virgil does, right? So yeah. it's it's interesting to see like you you say you're an old brand, like yeah. you're 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 at the infancy age, right? Yeah, we if we're are. really gonna take this where we wanna go, yeah. We've got eighty more years to get to the hundred year anniversary, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Like how how do we build it out? And I think it's that evolution stuff and opening to communities and stuff. Cause I think yeah. your brand's all about communities. Yeah. How did you, how did you start to build? Like, what was your first thought on building community? Around I don't think it was ever a conscious decision. It wasn't until I was writing my book, which dropped last year, you know, so that was 16 years into the company that I halfway through the book was like, what am I really writing about? You know, I get this book deal. I've always wanted to write a book. They said, write a, you know, first tell your story. That's, you know, tell what you write, what you know is like Mm -hmm. the mantra with writing. And so I was like, no problem. So I'm writing this book and I'm halfway through and, and, and it's a really great exercise for almost everybody. I think is even if you don't write a book, it's just a journal or sit there and write because you have to be honest with yourself when you see yourself writing these things down on paper And I was talking about what I did for a living and how I built this brand and the business. And you are confronted with like a lot of soul searching. And I was like, why am I doing this? You know, Mm -hmm. like, because everything was about like, oh, this was cool and I want it. And I'm like, what was this about and why did it work? And so asking myself a lot of hard questions over months of writing and, you know, by the second half of the book, I started realizing, oh my God, this had nothing to do with clothing ever. This was always about the people. Everything I'm talking about, the brands I look up to and the designers, it wasn't really even their work. It was them as personalities or their ideas or the way, the way that they looked at the world. And like the movement itself was really about bringing people together and the relationships that I'd built over the years and the relationships that we'd built between customers. And so by like the end of the book, I was like, this is really about community. You know, Mm -hmm. this has always been people over product. It's not about a t-shirt. It's about the t-shirt having a message on it. The message is an expression from the designer, but it's also the person wearing it. It provokes a conversation from somebody else. They develop a friendship. And that's what we're doing here. So we're really just giving people reasons to come together over and over again. And so if we looked at the brand and anyone who owns a brand or business can do this, like if you look at it as a means to bring a community together in a time when we really need to be brought together more than anything, Mm -hmm. Like they're very powerful tools and platforms that we can use. And uh, that's what just gives us longevity. Like that's why we never trend out. You know, it will never be unfashionable to build communities. It will never be unfashionable to be honest and to build relationships with people. And so our diehard customers who've been with us five years, 10 years, 17 years, like when they approach me and they talk to me and they DM, they text me, it's always about like these memories they associate or, um, you know, chapters of their lives where they're like, this shirt was given to me by my dad who passed away or like Mm. my girlfriend and I, our first date, I was wearing this shirt and she said something about it. And there's always like these memories associated with people 
And so, you know, they, it's never about the actual clothes. And so my day-to-day job is to design clothes, you know? Like I sit there and I draw a T-shirt or I'm working on a pair of pants and like that's what I do. But what am I really doing in life is what I'm really doing is just trying to bring people together. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, you told that story about Garfield earlier. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like that's the same way. When you t- like you did a Garfield collab because yeah. you grew up on that brand. Like you and I are yeah. the same. Like we had yeah. all those books. Yeah. It's about the things that like it's the moments we talked about streamers earlier, right? Yeah. Like my kids love Preston plays. Um, yeah. They're gonna remember Preston forever totally. because they spent three years of their lives watching all of his videos, yeah. consuming his content. Yeah. And so as we start to see the things that are kind of affecting or touching. My kids are different than yeah. like the movies I went to when I was a kid. Yeah. For my kids, it'll be the streams that they watched or, yeah. you know what I mean? And so it's just a kind of a unique place in this, in this world to see kind of gaming and culture kind of be those moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did, uh, how, how did, when you were writing the book, how did you get so authentic? Like, I think you really put yourself out there. Like when people go into yeah. it, like it's not a, it's not, yeah. a, I mean, it's a happy story, but it's the, it's, it's really a it's failure everything. story. Yeah. Everyone's like, Oh, what are you writing about? And I'm like, Oh, I'm just writing about my life. And they're like, Oh, about how you built a successful brand or how you made it with your career. And I'm like, actually, it's not really a success story. It's a failure story. And what I mean by that is that, you know, my, the arc of my career has really just been bulleted with failure after failure after failure, like hard lessons, like lots of valleys, like very few mountains and hills, like just constantly getting beat up, picking Mm -hmm. myself back up again, learning from it. And I think that's the story that we rarely hear in business, especially in successful business. You always see the glossy magazine covers. You always see like uh, so-and-so is worth this much or they're driving this car. They're making some kind of headline for selling their their company's valued at billions of dollars. And that's not a realistic business story to me. Everyone I know who is running a business or a brand or is an entrepreneur or a young artist and is content or happy with their life. Um, it rarely ever has to do with like valuations or anything like that. And it rarely, it's never like a glowing portrait of like an idyllic, perfect business of journey. You know, it's always like they've just been through a lot of hardship and they've just been weathered and torn. And I'm like, I want to tell that story because that's really what my life has looked like. You know, you can, it's been punctuated with these like really glorious moments where we shut down Disneyland for a night to throw a 10 year anniversary party. I, I, I open up one of the chapters there, you know, or we do an Xbox collaboration, like punctuated, cool highlight. But what's the majority of my life look like this, this week, you know, I'm like freaking out over the election, you know, I'm like racked with anxiety. I can't even like move. Like, you know, I, I suffer from like anxiety, depression, you know, I've had, I've had these issues my entire life. You know, I grew up in a, an abusive home, you know, it's like, I grew up with, um, just like a lot of social issues. And so these things are, I've never been, uh, it's never been complicated for me to talk about them. Like, I don't know why I'm built that way. I'm not like an over, maybe I am an oversharer. I guess it depends on who you talk to. I'm actually a pretty private person, but I've never been too ashamed to talk about everything that I've been through, you know, the ups and downs. Cause I think that provides a complete picture of who I am. Mm-hmm. It's honest and it's a real uh, portrait of my life. And that's all I strive to be. I don't try to be the coolest. I don't try to, you know, make everything sound like I'm the best. It's not about that. Cause I, I think what it is, is like, I don't really have anything to prove to anybody. <laughs> like yeah. 
my validation has never been extrinsic. It's always been intrinsic. It's always like me versus myself. I'm just, I'm not like a competitive dude. Like I'm just me, like all the sports, skating, surfing, snowboarding. It's just always been like me, like doing my thing. And so maybe that's what it is too. But Family and happiness. Like that's, yeah. that's the core. Yeah. Cause I'm the same way. Like, yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like that's really at the end of the day, like I, I'm, so I'm running a business. I don't think yeah. I've ever had a bad, a bad day. Yeah. I'm sure I have, but I don't, sure, yeah. I don't care. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, I go home and my kids are going to be here in a couple hours yeah. and they're going to stream and like, yeah. I'm going to work on email that I'm missing and like, totally. like what, it's just like, this is what, this is the life we built. Yeah. So like either be happy with it or scratch yeah. it and go do something else. But like you and I both got into the businesses that we're passionate about. So yeah. We can't complain. At yeah, all about exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking about writing a book. Uh, yeah. Working on, like I want to do a business book, less about this. Like I'm not successful like you. Uh, we're just getting started. I want to write a book about like just the things that we know about. Yeah. Like I want to, uh, we're going to write about a business book about helping brands come into the gaming space and authentically don't come in the wrong way and do sure, those kind yeah. of things. Give me some tips on kind of the writing. Like how did you, like how well, did you slave if you yourself are, to write? Yeah, if you're writing a book, I've learned a lot just in writing one book. I'm in the middle of my second book, which is a fiction book. I'm writing a young adult book for, um, so I have two boys they are 11 and eight. And by the time th- this book comes out, they'll probably be like 13 and, um, you know, maybe like 10 or something like that. And so it's like right at the age where young boys stop reading, they stop reading at 12. And if they aren't reading still at that point, they'll actually never pick up a book pretty much again. Mm. That's just kind of how men are wired. And so I don't want them, I don't want to lose them with reading. I, I want them to play their games, but I also want them to read a little bit. So this book is for them. So even in writing a fiction book, I've learned a lot. The, the primary piece that I give any young writer is outline and structure or everything and um like anything these days it's like it sounds super simple and dumb but there are youtube videos on just how to write a good book and i'll tell you i wasn't one of them but i know so many authors who wrote new york times best-selling books by literally following just a free youtube like searching how do i write a book and following the youtube tutorial down to a t where they say all right now in this chapter you're going to this is going to be the structure and you just fill in the names and the, <laughs> so that it's actually, perfect, those yeah. things help. Like, you know, look, we're in the year 2020, they've Google everything. They, yeah, you can Google everything, but they've boiled storytelling down to seven basic plots, right? Like there's seven different types of movies that you watch are all the same movie. They fall within a silo. So no one's inventing like an eighth different kind <laughs> of story. You know, yeah. they're all out there and you're just going to, you're going to move the characters around a little bit and you're, you're going to finesse it your way with your language. But like it's, you know, but beyond that and structure and everything is just, I, it's, it's hard, you know, like writing a book, especially like a memoir or something that's coming from a personal space, even fiction is actually, has actually been harder for me because like the book I'm writing right now is like pretty tragic and it, it, it pulls from a lot of like hard moments in my life that I wasn't ready to deal with, you yeah. know, even within therapy, I wasn't ready to deal with and it's coming up within the book. That's going to happen. But it's a great exercise. Like you like become the, such a better person for it. Yeah, it feels cathartic for you. Like I love Super. the idea. Like yeah. I'm the same as you. I want to keep my kids reading, and I'm going to go yeah. to Barnes and Noble and buy them books and make them read if they're going to get anything. Yeah. So like you're actually putting the energy and skin into it is awesome. But it sounds like it's cathartic as well. Too. It's super cathartic. It's super helpful. Uh, when I'm writing, I'm kind of a horrible person to be around because I get really depressed and I'm ang- angry and angsty and I'm kind of on edge. But when I come out of the funk, you know, when I get done with that chapter and move on, I'm like, 
such a better person to be around because I'm so much more aware. And that's what the writing does is it puts all your problems, all your horribleness in front of you, makes you deal with it. I think it's amazing. All right. I'm going to, it's, I'm more worried about finding 45 minutes or an hour every day. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like that. I need the advice on like, right. Do this. Like you got to go sit in this corner and write. Um, so that's, no, I appreciate it. I, I am going to Google. Like it's a business. I'm not read. I don't have a memoir. To, I don't think I have a story. My life is. Well, so, I swear everyone says that they're like, wow, you have a, you can write a memoir. My life's boring. And I'm like, my life is really not that interesting. Everyone has a crazy story. Really? Everybody has a crazy story, no matter how normal you think it is. Just start telling your story and people will be like, whoa, that's cool. Or like, yeah, that's crazy. That's true. Yeah. Um, speaking of crazy stories, uh, a lot of people, so Albie, I'm tight with Albie who kind of, you said Disneyland, uh, my boy mm-hmm. stance. Uh, it tells good stories. You have a lot of people, uh, Josh Vidas, that came out of there. You have so many people that have been around you, around yeah. the brand. Uh, I was Tyler, the creator, Jonah Hill, Kid Cudi. Give me a story. Like, tell me, like, give me a story oh, about something. Like, give me so a good many stories story. of just people who've been around the brand. Yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of people who have worked with us, like for us, who ended up becoming just gigantic superstars. Who do you got? Yeah, people like Tyler used to hang around the shop and stuff, but there was a kid once there's a well, there's a kid named Lucas Sabat who's like big, cool New York kid, you know, model, um, fashion maven dude. Like that kid used to intern for us. Uh you know, Josh, there's a kid named Heem. I'm just thinking of I love I'm just like Josh did your store recently. Yeah, and it, yeah, Josh came back and like so joined our store because he used to drive our truck. Um but there's one of the better stories is um, there was this kid who used to intern for us. His name was Dylan, and we used to we used to call him Dildon, okay? And because we were just like, oh, you're just like a runner. He was actually a friend of our intern at the time who was this kid named Alex, the super intern we called him. And we're like, Alex, bring a friend around. He started bringing Dylan around. We were like, oh, Dildon, grab this, throw the trash out. And uh, we would take him on road trips. You know, there's like still there's video of him still on our YouTube page of we were in Vegas and like we would dump water on his head while he slept or we'd flip his cot over. And one day he came to us and uh, he'd been with us for like a couple of years at that point. Of course, we weren't paying him. So we you're were, flipping him and done. Treat yeah. him terribly. So we he stayed. Him terribly. Which is he just, yes. you know, he was a kid. And he was just stoked to be around the brand. And he's such a lovable, goofy kid. And one day he came to us and he was he was just pissed off and he was just like I quit and Ben was just like you quit like what are you gonna do with your life and he's like I want to become the world's biggest DJ and Ben's just like what and I was like bro like you've never DJed a day in your life what are you talking about he's just like yeah I'm gonna show you so he goes into his basement for a year in his mom's basement teaches himself how to DJ. Diplo discovers him. Maybe five years later, we're sitting in an, an office on the other side of town. Ben and I are just working one day, and Coachella lineup is out. So we pull up the flyer, and somewhere like in the middle of the flyer, like not at the top, there was a name Dylan Francis. And I was like, God, we used to have a kid who worked here named Dylan Francis. Remember Dylan Francis, Ben? And Ben's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. This kid this kid on the fly, his, his name is Dylan and Francis. And this kid's a DJ, too. Like, Didn't that kid want to be? Yeah. And then uh, one of the people who was working for us at the time walked by, and they were like, Dylan Francis? You guys know Dylan Francis? We're like, yeah. Why? You're like, 
he's a huge DJ. And we're like, well, it can't be the same. Well, is it? So then Ben texts him and is like, Dylan, come to the office right now. And he pulled up in a crazy car like an Aston Martin or a Maserati When was the last time he had sent him that a text before that text? Maybe like five years. <laughs> and so Dylan pulls up in Maserati and gets out. And we're like, what the hell is going on? What happened? And he's like, I told you guys I'm going to become the world's biggest DJ. And in the years since, he started like headlining Coachella and... You know, we we love Dylan. You know, he's he he wears our clothes still, and like every now and then he reaches out just to say hi and whatnot. But it's one of those things where my kids just don't believe it. You yeah. know, they're always like, "Why? How do you know that person?" I'm like, "That guy used to work for me. I used to call him Dildon," and they're like, "No way. That's Dylan Francis. He's huge." Like a really good one was earlier this year. Travis Scott pops up in the Fortnite game, and my kids are super excited about it. And they're playing, rotating the character. And my older son calls me and he's just like, Dad, Dad, look, Travis Scott, they put your logo on his arm in the game. And I was just like, oh, yeah. They zoom in on it. And it's our mascot, Adam Bomb. It's a cartoon bomb on the inside bicep of Travis on the game. And they're like, why did why did Fortnite do that? And I was like, oh, because oh, because that's Travis actually has that tattoo in real life. And they were like what why and i was like because he likes the brand like he likes the hundreds and my kids were like but it's travis scott like why would he like the hundreds and i'm like (laughs) oh my god i'm like you guys you know my brand is somewhat relevant and cool out there in the world you know people get a tattooed on them but why would he no like they couldn't compute the math that daddy's work is on travis scott like if you Grew up telling me like like my dad drew a picture and it Michael Jordan tattooed it on his arm. I would have been like, why would Michael Jordan do that? I don't understand. It's yeah, awesome. So like, there's you know that those those stories happen almost every day. Kids are uh, kids are so funny. My so I have a lot of shoes. I'm a huge shoe yeah. guy, and my kids all they the only thing they know about shoes is my shoes. Yeah. And so when Travis was in Fortnite, they were like, "Look, Dad, they're wearing he's wearing your shoes," and I'm like, "He's he's actually those are his shoes. I actually happen to have a pair of his shoes." So the opposite of your story. <laughs> My kids think I designed those shoes. I'm like, and I'm very honest with my kids. I'm like, look, I didn't design those shoes. I I was lucky enough to get a pair. His shoes are yeah. really hard to get. I have a pair of his shoes. So, but uh, thanks for thinking that I made Travis's shoes. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the coolest parts of what we do is our community. It's like Fight Club, where we're I don't know if you remember that line in the book or in the movie, but we're everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. so. It's not the Travis Scotts and like the Tylers or like people like that. That really stoked me out as much as we'll just be sitting in a restaurant and like the busboy will come over and be like, hey, you know, like I grew up wearing your brand or I I wore your brand or I bought the Xbox collab. Thank you. And they just move on. It's always kind of like and they and our fans are the best because they know how to keep their distance. Like I'll be with my family sometimes out in public and they'll just be, you know, they'll be in front of us in line. They'll look back and they'll be like, bro, like the whatever. And they just. It's like a secret nod. It's like a secret handshake in our club. And I love that, you know, and I I just, there's, that's everywhere. I just, I'm I'm very, I feel so comforted knowing, like I, yesterday I was driving and traffic in downtown, through downtown LA and I pull up at a light and the guy just honked his horn, rolled down the window and was just like, thank you for everything, man. Read the book, grew up on the brand. And I was just like, no problem. Thank you. And it's just like, 
we're everywhere, you know. Fans are everywhere. The yeah. I never told you the story. You and I did. I, I did my first pitch to you, and I'm like, hey, I want to do some stuff. I think I, I was working late. I think we talked late. It, it might have been me solving your Fortnite shit, <laughs> but we just got off the phone, and I was working late, and I postmated dinner, and I happened to be wearing one of your shirts, and I postmated dinner, <laughs> and the guy comes up to the door, and we had just got off the phone, and he pulls up to the door, and he's like, ah, oh, fuck, hundreds, awesome. You have no idea. Like I just got the phone with Bobby. Like I didn't say anything. Of course, I'm like, yeah, I know it's a great brand. I love I, it. Too. Like every, you guys are everywhere. Yeah, sometimes that happens for me. Where I open the door, I open. It's it's a handful of times. This is one time I opened the door for Postmates delivery person. It was a girl, and she just was like, "Oh my god!" Like right when I opened the door, and I was like, "Hi," and she's just like, "Uh." And I was just grabbed the bag and I was like, please don't tell anyone I live here. And she's just like, okay. And she's like, uh, you know, so those are, that's always fun. Yeah. That's awesome. I look nice. like that guy. Yeah. I'm not that guy. Yeah. I'm always just like, yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you for doing this. Yeah. Super no problem. Fun. Thanks for coming yeah. out here. I love kind of what we did. I'm more excited about what we're doing next year. hundred so percent. Same. A lot of good and stuff. And the year so. after and let's keep it going. Let's go. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Chris.